Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning. So glad to be with you today. Isn't it exciting that we can get into the word every week? I mean, last week we talked about how sound doctrine is so important. And, you know, it's important for daily living. You know, my husband and I have been married for almost 40 years. Yeah. In a few months. And, you know, we recently had that conference for the married couples, and we went to the Saturday breakfast afterwards, and there were some issues that we wanted to get an answer to. And, you know, every problem has a solution that you could find in the Word of God. So it might sound like a petty thing, but, you know, the little things are like water dripping on a stone. But we have this issue with who makes the coffee. Okay, I get up early. I like to see the sunrise. I like to get into the word. I like to get on the prayer call in the morning. He likes to sleep a little later. So he thinks I should make the coffee. Okay, now I want to do those things. So he gets up later and he stays up later. So we have one of those automatic coffee things that you could set the time and it can brew it and it'll be ready for me in the morning. Right. So this issue, who makes the coffee? But in today's book, I found the answer. I did. And here it is. (laughs) The book of Hebrews. So, Ed, you brew the coffee. But today, as we've been going through the Bible Two years, this is the second year, we're almost done going through every book of the Bible. We go, we cover a book or sometimes two. Today we're going to go through two books, Hebrews and James. And both these books were written toward or directed to an audience, a specific audience, and they were Jewish people, okay? And there were different uh, categories there. One group were believers, And they really, truly were following the Lord, and they were suffering persecution, not only from the Romans, but from their own fellow Jews. So we have that group. Then we had the unbelievers. These are the ones, the Jews who heard the message, and they were intellectually curious, but they rejected Christ. They didn't want to make him the Messiah. And finally... Most of the book is written to religious Jews. These were believers. They accepted Jesus. They heard the truth of the gospel, and they received the truth of the gospel. And they were at least partly persuaded to follow the Lord. But inside, they were not committed, deeply committed to him. They they were recent converts, and they kept reverting back to their old ways. And I think of this kind of like um, 
uh, Sunday Christians of today. If you think of the superficial Christians, they, they might come to the altar and they say a prayer. It's genuine. They receive Christ. And then they go out and they live their life the way they usually do. And maybe they might visit church occasionally when it's convenient for them. And these are superficial Christians. And these are how those superficial religious Jews were. Now, if we look at the books of Hebrews and James, James was the oldest book. I don't know if you know that. That's the oldest book in the the New Testament. It was written around 44 AD, and it was written by the half-brother of Jesus. Now, he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and he... uh, That church went through a lot. There was persecution again, like I said, with the Romans. And uh, there was persecution among them with their own people, the other Jews. And there was famine as well. Now, the book of Hebrews, nobody knows for sure. I know a lot of people uh, claim that Paul is the author, but we really don't know for sure who the author is, but what we do know is he was rooted in the apostles' teaching. And he uh, very heavily, uh, in this book, you'll see, he used um, images that were very familiar to the Jewish people. So that's how we know it was written to a Jewish audience. So let's dive in. Let's look at the first chapter of Hebrews. Hebrews 1. It says, in, time pa- in, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Later on in the chapter, it talks about how God spoke, who? To the ancestors, to the Jewish people. He spoke through angels, through prophets, through priests. But in these last days, God is speaking to something so much greater than those. So we see Jesus was given status above the angels. Remember, angels are messengers of God. And Jesus had the greater message, the good news, the gospel of salvation. Jesus is superior to the the prophets, and and the most highly esteemed prophet was Moses. And if you think, here Moses led the people out of slavery. They were in slavery for 40 years, I mean 400 years. He led them out through miraculous signs, and we don't have time to go into all that detail, but Moses, he received the law. Here was a great prophet, and this scripture says, that Jesus was superior to them. Remember, the the Israelites wandered. Even under the leadership of a great prophet, they wandered for 40 years. And that whole generation, minus two, was destroyed. They were not allowed to go into the promised land. And we see Jesus is greater than Moses. How much greater are the stakes if we rebel against him? He wants to free us from captivity, from sin, and lead us out. We can't rebel against him. And we, we navigate this journey, 
And we need to listen to what God is telling us so that we could walk in the way of the future. So Jesus, he was superior to the angels. He was superior to the prophets. He's superior to the high priest. And I want to kind of rest here in a minute for a minute. The high priest, the high priest, their role was to represent Israel before God. They were to offer sacrifices to atone for the sins of the people. But they were flawed people. They were humans. So they had to offer sacrifices for themselves in order to uh, be received. I'll explain more about the high priest in a minute. But the religious Jews, going back to them, they deceived themselves with the reasoning that they accepted Christ and it was attractive but it was more attractive to follow the law of, of Moses. So they were stuck there. Hold on. The non, non-believing Jews, they insisted on adhering to the Levitical traditions. Their spiritual minds were blinded. They didn't realize that what was written in the very book of the books of Moses, okay? What was written there was foreshadowing or pointing to Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that in a minute. So the reader, uh, the writer, the author of Hebrews meets these people right in their most familiar setting. I mean, the central, the life of the Jew centered around the temple. Everything revolved around the temple, That was the place where animal sacrifices were made. That was the place where worship was done, where the law was followed to a T. Now, I want to explain a little bit about that area. See, the temple itself, during Jesus' earthly ministry, there in the distance, there were different courts of separation. There was the court of the Gentiles, far away from the temple. There was the court of the women, Okay, then there was the general court where the priests would make offerings. They would uh, sacrifice the animals on behalf of the people. But the second part, inside the temple is where I want to kind of concentrate. There were two compartments. There was one compartment where the priests would minister and uh, take care of the incense. There was incense that was burnt there. Continually, that was representing the prayers. There were lamps, and then the lampstand, the oil of the lampstand could never run out. So they had to make sure that that oil, which represents the Holy Spirit, we could do a whole teaching on just the temple. And there was also showbread, a table of bread that was there, brought fresh every week, and that was for the priests to consume. But the job of the, in that first area of the temple, that's what that was for, where the priests would minister. Then there was this curtain from ceiling to the floor that divided the inner holy of holies, they call it, the holy place. And this was a special place where only the high priest would be able to enter, and only once a year. Now, Jesus was higher than the high priest. Now, on the Day of Atonement, the priest would come in and he would offer or sprinkle the blood in, in, the, um, in the holy place. Now, inside, beyond that curtain, beyond that veil, 
was the place where God's presence dwelt. There was something called the Ark of the Covenant, and on top of that was the mercy seat. Inside the Ark of the Covenant were the Ten Laws of Moses. So, and above the mercy seat, a cloud, a presence of God would hover. And that's where the high priest, only once a year, would take the blood of a sacrificed animal and bring it on behalf of the people. And he would sprinkle the blood on behalf to forgive the people for that year. That was the job of the high priest. So the people reading what we're about to read understood what the high priest's job was. He's the only one that had access code. He's the only person who could get in. And think of it. I mean, we have buildings with certain access code. You have a card or some kind of code. You try to get into some schools or some businesses, and you're in trouble because alarms would be set off. Well, it was worse for the high priest because if he wasn't right with God, he would lose his life. To approach God's presence, which is holy and pure, no one could have access. And even there was job description, occupational hazard for the high priest. Now, I read up on this. There was a protocol in Exodus 28 and 39. We could read more about it. But because God is so holy and so pure, the high priest's garments had small bells that were sewn into the hem of the garment into the fringes. And every time he moved in the Holy of Holies, the priests that were on the other side of the curtain would hear him and they would know that he was still alive. It's also said that they had tied a a rope around the ankle of the high priest because if they didn't hear the bells, they knew that something that God was displeased and he was dead and they would drag him out. I mean, that was a tough job the high priest. So nobody else would dare. Would you dare to enter with all those restrictions? Sin, it represents sin, how sin separates us. No one is allowed. Only the high priest could sprinkle the blood. And, you know, for the Jewish audience, they understood what sprinkling of the blood and the shedding of the blood, why it was necessary But I want to bring us back to Genesis chapter 3. Sin, when Adam and Eve sinned, it brought death. See, God had to slay an animal to cover their nakedness. And that was the first death in the garden. And it not only brought death, it brought separation. They had to leave the presence of God in the garden. So the first mention of the blood sacrifice was that slain animal. Later on, a few chapters later, we read what happened with the brothers, Cain and Abel. One offered the acceptable sacrifice, which was animal sacrifice. The other, God wasn't pleased because he brought his own idea of sacrifice. See, the blood is necessary. And later on, we look in Exodus when the Israelites were rescued out of slavery, they were instructed to do something strange. Take a a lamb and slay that animal 
Of course, prepare it for dinner, but take the blood of that animal and apply it to the doorpost. They had to apply it to the top and the sides. The top and the sides. And that was pointing to the other blood sacrifice, which we'll get into in a minute. So the blood of the lamb was placed on there. And when that last death angel passed through Egypt, it passed over the areas and the homes that had the blood applied. It passed over. That's where we get the term Passover meal. It comes from there. But the sprinkling of the blood, we read later on in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, there's a wide range of sacrifices with uh, bulls and lambs and for different purposes, goats. There were daily sacrifices. There were monthly sacrifices. There were sacrifices to ceremoniously clean the the altar, uh, even the priestly garments had to be sprinkled with blood. So here we're going to pick it up in Hebrews chapter 4. Jesus is the great high priest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, he didn't just go into the holy of holies. He didn't just go into the holy place. He ascended into heaven. The Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So now we have the access code. We have been given the password. We are now encouraged to enter into his presence. Jesus gave us access. He went beyond the holy of holies into heaven. You know, Jesus took our sinful nature in order to be one with us, in order to be human, so that he could live a sinless life. So he's not only the high priest, got to get this, his death on the cross was a substitutionary sacrifice. So he's the high priest and he's the sacrifice. And it's sufficient for all time. You don't have to go every year. Every year, the Holy of Holies, the high priest would go in and anoint and sprinkle the blood for that year. And it had to be done every year after year after year. And it was never sufficient. But this blood, this pure, sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ provided atonement for all time, for everyone. There's no outer court Gentiles. There's no court for the ladies. Everyone can approach the throne of God with confidence. You know, only the blood of Jesus can cover us. And, you know, in Exodus, the Lord didn't check to see who was worthy inside that house that he passed over. As long as he saw the blood, that death angel passed. As long as the blood covers us, God's judgment 
passes over us. So Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's our Passover Lamb. He passes over. In Hebrews, we see an appeal to approach God on the merits of Jesus' position. It was because he made the way. His sacrifice made the way. He invites us to enter in. Look again in verse 16. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. In the law of Moses, access to God was denied. Even the high priest would have fear and trembling as he entered that place. Because any unconfessed sin, anything, in thought or deed, he was judged. But now we can receive mercy and forgiveness. We don't have to come to God in fear and trembling, just with sincerity of heart. I love this, grace and mercy. We can find grace and mercy. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Forgiveness. We don't deserve forgiveness. And mercy is not getting what we deserve. We deserve judgment. And he says we can, because of his sacrifice and his blood, the great high priest made a way. We can have grace and mercy, forgiveness, and no judgment. Now, the book of James tells us similar things. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Remember I talked about the holy of holies and that curtain or that veil that was separating the two? Scripture tells us that That really was separating the dwelling place of God, and it signified sin. The high priest was permitted to pass. But let's read this in chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter, again, that word again is confidence, assurance, to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. He says, let us draw near with a sincere heart, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The veil, a first century historian and, and Jewish tradition agrees that this curtain was nearly 60 feet tall, now, I don't know how tall this place is, but I know, think of your house. It's an eight-foot ceiling, right? And you'd have, what, seven? Seven of those. That's how tall, that's how high the temple curtain was. And it says it was four feet thick. I don't know if you've ever tried to rip rags or anything. I mean, that's hard enough. Can you imagine four feet thick and 60 feet high. And that's why what happened at the moment of Jesus's death is so significant because, and let's read it, in Matthew 27, 51 and 50, uh, 50 and 51, it says, Jesus cried out again in a loud voice and he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain 
of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. Some versions say it was rent. So what do we make of this? What do we, how do we apply this to us? What significance does that tearing of the curtain have for us? It dramatically symbolized that Jesus' sacrifice, his shedding of his blood was sufficient atonement for sins and that he made the way beyond the holy of holies. It was open for all people, for all time, Jew and Gentile, because that's why Jesus says, I'm the way, I am the truth, I'm the life. No more dead religion. In a sense, that veil was symbolic of Jesus Christ himself, the only way to the Father. He was the image. We see the image of Jesus' flesh as his flesh was torn while he was on the cross. That curtain was torn. It's a constant reminder that sin renders humanity unfit to be in the presence of God. When Jesus died, the veil was torn, and God moved out of that place. The cloud moved, no longer to dwell in the temple. Jesus prophesied that this would happen, and in 70 AD, that very thing happened. The temple was destroyed. The old covenant brought room for the new covenant. Now we can enter the Holy of Holies. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the precious blood of Jesus. It's a new covenant, a covenant of his blood. See, the temple, all those things were shadows of what was to come. And they all pointed to Jesus Christ. He was the veil. No, he brought us through. So guess what? You have lifetime access. You have the code. You have the access code to God. You no longer have to go to a priest or someone intermediary. You can go directly and boldly and with assurance that he loves you and forgives you, provides mercy for you. He invites us to come. He's removed the barriers. And there's warnings if we don't. In this same book, all this great news, how we can approach boldly, there's warnings if we don't. In Hebrews 3, the author writes, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. In other words, don't look back. Don't go back. Don't revert back. Don't rely on traditions and customs. Don't have an unbelieving heart. Further on in Hebrews, he writes this. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience 
inherit what has been promised. So the Lord is warning us not to walk away from this beautiful gift that he's given us. And if this makes you a little uncomfortable, these passages, that was the purpose of this book, to make the audience a little uncomfortable. In Hebrews 10, again, it says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess and let us consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, drawing near to to God is the essence of Christianity. In the Old Testament, there was uh, just the opposite. No one could draw near. But Christianity, we're encouraged to draw near. That's the essence of Christianity. The Levitical system kept people at a distance outside of God's presence. But we habitually, as we come together, we draw near to him. And while do we do this here, we're encouraging one another as well. In the book of James, he says, he echoes the same thing. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. James 2 says this. What good is it with, uh, starting in verse uh, 17. In the same way, faith by itself if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But show me, but someone will say, we, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. See, James is talking even further. Besides approaching God, drawing near to God, he's saying, once you receive this gift of forgiveness, what are you going to do with it? You draw near to God. You know, he's saying, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. True faith is proved real by the things that we do. And you might say, well, salvation comes not by works. It's in faith alone. Yeah, that's saving faith. It is by faith in Christ alone, not by works, so no one can boast. But after you are saved... You are known by the works that you do. See, there's two pieces of the puzzle. Salvation always, always results in good works. When Jesus saves us, he intends to transform us. Our heads, what we think, our hearts, what we love, and our hands, what we do. If we profess faith in Christ, It should confirm our faith by the things that we do, how we're spurred on to do for the Lord. And that's what I want to ask you. Has your faith in Christ changed the way you interact with the world? Do they see your good works? It's it's like this. When you're saved by faith, the rest of your life is gratitude. It's a P.S. I do those things for you as unto you because I'm grateful for this gift of salvation. Are you getting it? 
So both of these books emphasize actions. One, draw near to God. The other, do. Don't merely listen to what it says. He's calling us to love God and to love one another. That's the way, living the way of Jesus. He stresses this spiritual fruitfulness. That demonstrates true faith. And any person who hears the word or reads the word and goes away and forgets what he hears, he's not applying the word. It's like a person who looks in a mirror and forgets what he saw. And you you can't make adjustments, right? You get stuff between your teeth. If you look in the mirror, you you take it, you make adjustments. When you look into the word, you need to make adjustments. But here James is saying, if you're not doing what the word says, if you're not taking the action that's required, it's just like walking away and not seeing what, you know, making those adjustments on yourself. To be a doer. That's what we're called to be, doers, not just do, not just follow rules, but to become a doer. And Jesus wrote, he said this, and it's written in Matthew chapter 7. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And here's the, here's the punchline. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. People will recognize you as a believer by the deeds, by the works that you do. Also, further down in that same chapter, uh, verse 24, therefore, everyone, Jesus is speaking, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. And yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone, here's the punchline, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. James was saying, whoever looks intently, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. See, that was James's de- desire when he wrote this book, that the Christ followers would uncompromisingly follow the word of God and become doers. So at the core of both these books was the same message There's a broken relationship that needed to be restored. We couldn't get there. There was distance and death. But Jesus made a way. We can't stand before him in our sin because he's a pure, holy God. But he made a way, a way where we can be forgiven and cleansed. We can't earn our way into heaven. We can't do enough. But it's been done. By Jesus Christ. He alone provided the perfect sacrifice to restore our relationship with God. Again, you have a lifetime access 
You have the code. Jesus. He's the way. Just like Israel's first covenant was made through blood, the sacrifice of animals, this new covenant was ratified by the blood of Jesus once and for all. He paid for our past. I know some people are afraid to approach God, even now, because there might be shame or regret, things that you've said and done that you wish you could take back. But if you come to the great high priest, he is the one who will forgive you and accept you, and and you can receive mercy and grace. So I'm going to open up the altars and I'm going to ask you as you're listening to this song and as you look at the words of this song, there's some of you just in gratitude, you're going to come up and worship him. Others, it might be the first time that you're coming down and you're saying thank you to him for the sacrifice for your sins. So I'm going to open the altar now as we Look at this song. Praise God. That song is so beautiful. It kind of summarizes everything that he did for us. He loves you. He died for you. If you hear nothing else, know that there's nothing that you've done or said that could keep you from his love. Just have to reach out your hands. He reached his hands out for you. Just reach out and take his hand. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.